Hello and welcome to this week's edition of In the Lions Den. I'm your host, James Boyle, joined as always by my father, Dennis Boyle. And here we are carrying the load without our Rick Catamaran. Yes, Rick will join us shortly. He uh, is getting back from an assignment somewhere far away and has to... He's in the black water. <laughs> yeah, he had to fly home. So he will be joining us a little later, but we're going to run through season two, episode nine we watched tonight. Episode called Blackwater, the first true battle of the yeah, of the oh, show. Wow. That was the whole cinematography of it was yeah quite a bit picked up. Yeah, tonight, yeah, yeah. They definitely, I bet they spent a lot of their yeah. budget on that episode. It's funny because even watching it now, I saw I was just texting Camp, a buddy of mine. Um, like in the later seasons, they have much more money to spend than yeah. it shows. But still, now you can see it's it's such a great episode and the effort that they put into making it. Any idea who does the music overs? Because that's what I was noticing yes. around. Yes, uh, he actually. It's not John Williams or no, one of the big but okay. he has won a couple Emmys from Game of Thrones. I think he's got a real like. Uh, it's like Rwanji or something. When they were coming up in the black waters on the ships, that music was grabbing With me. the And then he said, come on, we got to have some music. Yeah, too. yeah. His name's, this composer is Raman Jawadi. I know he's won a bunch of Emmys. Wow. As he should. Yeah, it was. That played a key role when they were when they were coming up. Yeah, when he's got the jumps going. So what's on your notes? So it's aptly named for Blackwater. Uh, although you're saying that is the name of the bottom. Yeah, so they call they call that bay there Blackwater Bay, and that kind of and black it is. I mean, this I was concerned about the scenes taking place and missing half of them because it was so dark. But yeah, that whole darkness pervades, and it's really a good setup for. I love how there's like this sense of impending doom. You know something's coming, like yeah. for the first half of the episode. And you know who showed it as much as anybody? Tyrion. Yeah, yeah. Although he had his wits about him. Gosh, I gotta know if he's done. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Spoil, I don't want to spoil, but he's not dead now. I had a feeling if he yeah, was, yeah, they would have showed yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Normally they don't. Like I'm trying to think. Generally, if they show a death, they make it clear that this... They don't do, like, the kind of corny cliffhanger, no. like, did he make it or and not? And especially a big character. Yeah, a main character like that. They may, like, they may tease like that every once in a while, but generally, if somebody dies, they make it obvious that, that they're gone. So now, when Davos is coming in on the ship, is that the only ship? Because remember when they said there's one ship? No, so, uh, I think in a previous episode... There was that other empty ship out there. So they had a bunch of ships. Right. They had like... They kept showing them all yeah. over and then they were there. There's only one ship. Well, no, no. Okay. Okay. I know you're I know you're talking about. So first of all, Davos, remember before him and Stannis had gotten in an argument where basically Davos was like, you can't bring the priestess on this battle. Remember he told her, I don't trust her. She's, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Stannis said, fine, I won't bring her. He convinces him, but then he goes, but you're going to lead the battle. I, I put you in charge of the battle. So Davos is on essentially the first, like, the oh. premier yeah. forward ship. That's why they're there. Now, when they were shouting, they're only, there's only one ship, they were saying that was the one that the Lannisters had sent out with the wildfire. That oh. was, like, the 
dummy ship, yeah, God. filled with the filled with wildfire that became like a bomb almost. Tywin was that his idea? No, Tyrion. Or Tyrion. Tyrion, yeah, because that goes back to uh, an episode very early in the season where they find that underground cache of all those pots of wildfire. Yeah, yeah. And they kept talking about how dangerous it oh, was. Wow, see, I. Never put it with that. And that's one of those – that's what – maybe now we'll start watching the recaps. That might help because the recaps that HBO will do, like an episode like tonight, during this recap, they'll show flashes of previous episodes. Yeah. And I bet they would show that scene and like kind of saying like – it's not obvious when you see it, but in hindsight, you go, oh, that's what that... Wow, because that's the first season. That, that Well, it wasn't the first season, that. but it might have been the first episode of this season. It was a long time ago. But remember, they find that cache and... Where at? Down in the catacombs? Yeah, like underneath yeah. the city. And uh, the alchemist says, oh, we're making it for your sister. We're making it for Cersei. And Tyrion says, no, you're making it for me. Now. Oh, okay. So that was his backup plan this whole time and wow. and like you said he didn't even know he was if it was going to work because he he looked all yeah he nervous kept giving and everything consternation there but him and his son i like them talking to each other now his son the last time he was in when i don't recall seeing him davos's son oh right? yeah he was in like he had a very minor role a couple episodes where Basically, his whole story was that he was super dedicated to Stannis and this red woman. He was like fanatical, saying the Lord of Light's gonna save us. And oh, okay, all right. He and even tonight he said like I believe in the Lord of Light. And and he said I have faith in our ships and I have faith in my captain. Right, right. Meaning Davos. Meaning Stannis, oh, probably. Okay. Yeah. Are they on the same page, them two? Or not really, because the the son is like diehard, like. Stannis is a king. And, yeah, yeah. And, and with the woman, too. didn't really even want to have him, did he? Did he want to have him along? Remember when they were discussing I don't know. He didn't, yeah, because he, he was, was kind of think of him as a, like a lowly fisherman or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So then Tyrion sitting there and talking with his... I, I, I should address her by her name, but I keep saying his, his whore. <laughs> Shay, her name is. Shay, and Shay. she was... Um, so there is some real feelings there. Yeah, yeah you see he, them. But he, he admits that he is scared. yeah. Of course, I'd be scared. And then he's telling her, "You can't boink your way through the whole world." And she says, "I have so far." <laughs> <laughs> and he's nervous because it's really like, and they they lean on this throughout the the episode. It's on him, yeah, like, basically, yeah. because you figure Joffrey's a little twit. Yeah, and Cersei doesn't know anything about war, and also she's gonna sit in the keep, you know, and. Tywin, we didn't know he was around. Spoilers at the end of the episode, but Tywin or Tyrion thinks it's all him, and without him, the city will fall. Ah, okay. So, and he does a great job throughout, right? Like, yeah, he, yeah. Well, he showed the exact kind of onions that the other kid. Yeah, did yeah. But why was she saying go get him? And I don't care what you want. Bring because she's worried about his Joffrey's safety. Oh, because her he's son. A pussy like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, regardless, she was saying, "I don't want my kid out oh, there." Okay. Yeah. And then we show her the queen bitch with this elder who has uh, brought her this um, essence of night or something. Yeah, something like nightshade essence. Or something. I thought he was offering it to her to poison other people, but no. Well, that's what you're meant to think. I think. If but, it gets down to it. Yeah, because he said he says to her, like, one drop 
will give you a nap. Two drops will put you in a deep sleep. Ten drops, and she's like, I know what ten drops will do. And he, she was willing to give it to the younger kid, right? Yeah, so she was prepared to give it to... I We're led to believe they're going to come in there and ravage them. Right, right. And then it's... It's, it's Tywin, Tywin in yeah. the final. Well, the um, she is back to her. I, I wondered whether... Because she showed a little bit of a softer side in the last couple episodes. And then all of a sudden she's back to her bitchy self. But I was wondering whether it was the wine. Or well, yeah, she was getting drunk too. Yeah, yeah. So this whole episode, before we get into some of your other notes, they kind of, I like the way they frame it where it's like, it'll be scenes of the battle and then they go to scenes of the women yeah, waiting, yeah. like kind of waiting to see what happens. It was good the way she described, I think I'd rather face a thousand swords yeah. than hanging with these little hens. Yeah, yeah. She, there's a lot of, and I wrote that down, there's a lot of like, I wish Rick was here to discuss too, but there's like a lot of gender politics going and on. And she's, uh, uh, she's not a warrior or anything. No, no, no. But she says, I would have, I'd rather, she says, I think at one point, I wish I was born a man. Yeah. She, um... She really comes back around. I was almost refreshed to see her back being a bitch again. Yeah, and she's got good good interactions with Sansa in this one. Then Virus, or the spider, as you said, or the master whisperer. He and Tyrion are talking about the pending war. Yeah. And Tyrion doesn't divulge any of his secrets with the... Like, he never says there, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to have this fiery ship and it's going to... Right, he doesn't tell him the plan. But we get, we at least get the sense of Varys. Well, Varys seems very convincing that he doesn't want Stannis and this red priestess on the throne. Yeah, yeah. He says to Tyrion, that would be the worst case. So, and that's Tyrion. who would have would be. Yeah, like if Steer, if if Stannis would have sacked the city, then he would, because he he's calling himself king. Yeah, but Davos is just not even related. Yeah, he Davos is like Stannis's right hand man, right, kind of. Right. Yeah, or his advisor, but, but really. no relation at all. No, no relation. No. So then Tyrion's um, his guardian. I'm trying to think of his name. The guy that when they had that little battle and he saved his butt. Oh, Bronn. Bronn. Yeah, they, they, he he is. Um, well, he says to Tyrion, "Don't get killed." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So now, then you could start seeing that Tyrion is really shitting Twinkies. Yeah, but, yeah. but he's going to go through with it anyway, unlike Joffrey, who is looking for the exit door. Now, Tyrion, um, then they show the queen again, and she's with... I like the exchanges between her. And Sansa. Yeah. yeah. Because she, in fact, I think the, the one point I had written down where she says, is your red flower still blooming? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're going to be bleeding out there, and you're going to be bleeding in here. What does Cersei, is she, she's obviously on to her that she's. Yeah, she knows that, she knows that uh, Sansa hates, she's not dumb, Cersei, and she knows that Sansa hates her, obviously, and says, like, you want you want us dead. And does she hate her because she's a, a, a Stark? Well, yeah. Because. Also, of... it's more like Sansa hates the Lannisters because yeah. of what they did to. Ned and everything. And Cersei knows, like, obviously the kid's going to hate her. Uh, but Sansa's so valuable because she holds the North, really. Like, when Joffrey and her get married and have kids, that's a stronghold in the and North. And Cersei is jealous of Sansa. Yeah, that's what on I'm some getting. level, yeah. 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 Like how a mom can get jealous. And, and jealous, too, because 
maybe she thinks she's prettier than her or just yeah that's possible too we we actually see later on this is actually i'll do a little tiny spoiler but well maybe no i won't but we'll see that cersei is uh threatened by younger pretty like okay yeah i had written down that my impression was that she was jealous of her but she when they were having this chat she was tearing up anybody with an asshole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was just going through everybody. That's when she makes that proclamation, I'd rather be... She doesn't seem to like women too much. No. I think she sees them as weak, mostly. Yeah. She likes to pride herself on being really strong. And, and the scared hens that are gathered there, what what role do they play? Are they all just servants? Or just like, yeah, noble women, probably okay. friends of the court. And that's what... Uh, Sansa at one point says, because Cersei's kind of like, forget all these ladies. And Sansa's kind of like taken aback. Like, these are your women of yeah, the court. Yeah. You need to. And Cersei's like, you know what happens when a city gets sacked? All these women will be raped. And and she sort of intimated that it was silly to even pray. Yeah, yeah. Because I think as evil as she is, uh, we'll have to ask Rick some of these. Or maybe next episode we can go over because there's a lot of a lot to Cersei's character is about gender politics in the world. Like Cersei is the best example of fighting the stereotypical roles that a woman plays. Women play in this world, especially where, back then. Yeah, yeah. Like she's women are meant to. She's meant to be like this prim and proper royal woman, and she's had to fight that always. Yes, her whole life because. She does. She doesn't want to be placed in that role, but unfortunately, that's the role that everyone's pegged her into, and that's maybe part of it is probably jealousy from growing up with Jamie, who was like this golden boy, you know, like yeah, King's yeah, Guard, yeah. best warrior, and she probably wanted some of that because she's competitive and everything, and always loved. Of course, Jamie. his dad loved him. Yeah, yeah. Was always praising right. her. And she, so that's probably a giant source of why she's such a cold. So then the, um, after their discussion and she mentions that she'd rather be out there than hang with this bunch of hens, the battle ensues. Now, now the guy, it's, it's Tyrion's guardian again who fires that one. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. (laughs) And I like because. Davos is the first one to see when they say there's only one ship, and then he's like, it's, "There's no one on it," so he knows something's going on. Okay, and then he sees the liquid pouring out. They've kind of put holes in the. Oh, look like antifreeze. Yeah, 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 and that's the wildfire. Okay, so he sees it, and he starts screaming, "Steer clear, steer clear!" And then you see the like the fired arrow tracing yes. this arc, and he kind of an knows. explosion. Yeah, and he tells his son. Memory goes. He kind of says, "Like back, get away." But who was the other guy that was just that little old man that was in the back, sort of like snickering and he hands? He was the alchemist who was oh, in God. charge of making the wildfire. See, I I did not recall him, and I knew he had some yeah. prior. So to him, it was like he's just like yeah, yeah he was happy because that's like their life's work, and he's now he hands Tyrion one of those flaming things. But I thought. So that was the signal. He Tyrion threw that over the wall. Got it. Bronn saw that. That's the it's signal to, to yeah. Then it's close enough to the other ship, and yeah, all it's like a nuke or something. Great the way scene, that, yeah, it's awesome. Guys fall yeah. off the ship. And, I like when they do that wide shot 
Yeah. And you just see the, the whole... The ship's like, just crawling. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. That was awesome. That was probably the most engaging scene yeah. since the whole thing started. Definitely the most action-packed, yeah, for yeah. sure. Other than when you're not trying to identify this guy. And yeah, guy. yeah. It was just a lot of action, and it was... I like the way they did it. So then um, they show where... Um, a Cersei says, go get Joffrey and tell him to come right. back here. Just because of the worry of a mother. Yeah, she she wants to protect Joffrey. And the whole thing is, like, Tyrion's position has been he has to be out there because the men will lose. They, if yeah. they see the king's gone, they'll just give right. up. And, and, and he tries to talk, Tyrion tries to talk Joffrey into staying, but Joffrey's too much of a little nit. Yeah, now, now is he... Um, when he goes, he he orders his guy that's behind him. Yeah, you fight like you're the king, right? So those are the king's guard that he says you 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 represent the king on the battlefield. One of which later we see he's the guy that attacks Tyrion. Yes, one of Joffrey's men, the big guy that was behind him. Right, yeah. right. Um, where did he hit him exactly? It was like he gets sliced right across okay. his face, but it's just like a yeah, flesh wound, right? But he can't take it because he used to battle. Yeah, but and, and Podrick, who will become a little bit of a bigger character, he was his little squire who was getting him set up in the armor and stuff. Yeah, and Varys asked, "Do you trust him?" And Tyrion says, "As a matter of fact, I do." Lucky he did, cause right? He, and he saves him. He yeah. he kills that Kingsguard. Put an arrow right through him. Right. Yeah. Um. When Tyrion was saying, we'll get out another way, was that something he mentioned in another episode? Yeah, so they have mentioned, and they actually touched on it again tonight, The <clears throat> when Tyrion was living at Casterly Rock, which is the familial home of the Lannisters, you know, Jaime was like golden boy, he was like training to become a knight, Cersei was going to be a royal lady, and Tywin gave Tyrion the, the prestigious job to oversee the city's sewer system sewage system okay so one of Tyrion's plans for this battle was to check out Find these tunnels route. yeah yeah and that leads to it was interesting how it was just big enough for him to walk yeah through. he got right through <laughs> everybody's so then when joffrey chickens out Tyrion is standing there with this incredulous look like now uh, what yeah. i'm sure he knew he mm-hmm. would but he still gave a look like Oh my god! I can't believe this kid's. Yeah, he's probably thinking this. This could be it because if the if the men lose faith, well, as he's walking through them, you, you see the, the people are kind of like, "What the hell?" That's it. Wrap yeah, it up. we're done. Um, when they um, and then he gives that speech, like his little rousing speech. Yeah, that was good. And he gets them the kind of yeah. Then they all screamed, and I thought, yeah. okay, they still have a shot. I, mean, I don't know why I'm not cheering for them guys. No, no, but this—that's what makes the show so great. Is like you find yourself, yeah, at points cheering for people that you normally might not. And Tyrion get, has so much charisma that you find that. Yeah, like, when they get to the um, when they get to the gate there, we were talking about that where uh, this battering ram. I mean, how long is it going to take? A, will they show them getting through there or that? Oh, no, well, they, they got interrupted. Off. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. They probably would have gotten through because they kind of show the wood splintering and everything. So when Tyrion runs out and leads them guys out the back way, and as he says, we're going to get them up the ass, that that wasn't even good enough. No, because... Here comes all the, They go and... Uh, here comes so all Ty- Tywin's guys. Yeah, Tyr- while Tyrion 
brings the men that little contingent to go around them. They get them this. They attack those Stannis's men at the wall and actually defeat them. That yeah, it looked like group. they were looked like they were in the lead there. But yeah. then from around the corner of the keep comes another like wave of of Stannis's men. And do they do that so you don't know who these guys are? No, that we do People know do. are are Stannis's men. So that's Stannis's men. Then they're fighting them. That's when he gets sliced in the face. Yeah. And then later on, the, the cavalry comes in. And they're um, the, the queen and, and the little... Wh- wh- who's the younger one of, of Joffrey's younger brother? Yeah, I'm trying to... They're in the Iron Throne. Then, right, sitting right. There. They're, in the, they're on the throne. Is that uh, supposed to mean something to us? Uh, she's going to go Probably out? Probably some symbotic... She's going to yeah, go yeah. out sitting on the throne. Yeah, be- Tom in that Like Elvis. Is, yeah. Um, and when... She has full intentions of this kid taking the poison and just yeah. In fact, he she's like putting it almost at yeah, his lips, yeah. and then in the last second, wow, that was a good ending. Yeah, yeah. And he we've comes won. In. <laughs> yeah, very matter of fact. Yeah, right? yeah. It's over, and we won. Yeah. You gotta like that guy. He's yeah. He's all bloodied up and everything, but he made it through. And, and he's her and Jamie's father. father right. Yeah. Right. So uh, the, the the other siblings, it's her and Jamie. And Tyrion. And Tyrion, okay. Just those three. Okay. Then Joffrey is, is he keeps saying my nephew because he's the child of, of her. And- right. 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 And at one point, Joffrey refers to Stannis as my uncle because it's Robert's brother. Now, we know that really, ah, but really they're not related because he's Jamie and Cersei's right, kid. Right. But he doesn't know that. Or... It's not. It's not really clear at this point if he if he knows that he's Cersei and Jamie's kid or not. Because didn't he bring it up to Cersei at one point? Yeah, and it was like nothing. Yeah, he said to her like, "Oh, I've heard a nasty rumor about you and Uncle Jamie." So I guess he's probably so psychotic he doesn't even care. He's just and no Khaleesi tonight. No, no other characters other than this battle. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? I don't know time wise if it was. It was like it was around the same, same 50, the 54 minutes or something. So um, the only thing we missed, I think we missed the hound. If you have any, oh, oh that's right, that's right. Tyrion, uh, okay. She retreats. He tells she tells her to go to your chambers, or who who told her to go? You should go to your chamber. Yeah, she did. The queen, right? Go to your chambers, like where? No, well, um, Shay does the whore. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. She says they get word that the battle's over. Stannis is going to win. So Shay pulls Sansa aside and says, you need to get out of here right now. Stannis won't hurt you. Like when Stannis takes the keep, he won't hurt you. But this guy will. Because that guy, creepy bald guy. The guy was supposed to be taking care of them? Yeah. Really was there for if Stannis wins, he was going to kill. Oh, okay. Okay. And then she says, well, why don't you come? And then she says, well, no, I got to check on something. Right, right. Tyrion, yeah. And she goes into her chambers. Right. What's the symbolism of that little doll that she... Is it just like her security pillow? Maybe, yeah. Maybe it's like... Because throughout the episode, you see that she's learning the game. This is like a lot of her development. Yeah. Like, she's kind of learning. But it says a lot that the first thing she grabs is a doll. Right. Like, she's still a kid. I think she's supposed to be 13 or 14. Yeah. Uh, And he tries to... He's drunk at this point, right? He's 
pounding the wine. And the hound is in her chamber. Right. And Why he, is he there? Does he know she's going to be coming? And then he's going to say. Well, yeah, he says to her, let's yeah. let's go. I'll take you. I don't know if that was like pre-planned or if he just kind of happened to be there. But he says, I'm going where the fighting's not. Maybe to the north. I, I can take you to Winterfell. He's had it. Yeah, he's checked out. So is he going to go to the, the other side? Yeah, is he going to go to the other side now? Or well, we don't know. He's going to. He certainly seems to be on his way out. He doesn't want to see his uh, fear. Yeah, yeah. He's got like a phobia with the fire, and then he's got little Joffrey annoying knitting in his ear. So he says he'll take her, and then they. Um, do do we see them leaving together? Is that she? No, she doesn't go with them. But he goes. He gives her that thing like. He's trying to, I think he's trying to tell her, you're in a den of snakes right now. Like, he says, you're surrounded by killers. Joffrey's a killer. Yeah, yeah. That's all they ever want to do. Yeah, so he's saying. But then he's a killer. Yeah, machine. but that's what he's saying. You better get used to looking at them. He's saying, because you're surrounded okay. right now. And so, he's, in, in effect, saying, I've had enough of this. Yeah, yeah. But something tells me he's going to be chopping more. Yeah. <laughs> Now, so but he the, is, you get the sense that he is genuinely trying to tell her, like, yeah, yeah. get out of here. He doesn't really. Why, too? Yeah, we don't know. But remember, he saved her when she I was. I think he has, a, he like Ned from that forever. Right, yeah. right. That's probably. But because remember, when she was about to get raped in the riots, he saved yeah. her. Yeah. So he's got to see. He, he well, likes she her. she says Tyrion he's... saved her, right? Yeah, well, Tyrion kept saying, where's Sansa? Where's, you got to go find Sansa. So when Tywin comes in and proclaims this, then what are we to think of now? I was trying to think of what what is he gonna he's gonna own that city then? Well, the Lannisters will keep power for now because okay, okay. yeah, he basically they've repelled Stannis's not only repelled his attack, but they destroyed most of his fleet. They killed a lot of his men. They show a scene of Stannis is still fighting. And all his men start retreating, and he's going, no, fight, fight, fight. fight. fight yeah. But his own men are grabbing him, saying, we got to go. We got to get are out Are we here. then to believe they all got killed or not? No, probably not, because they were retreating. And doing what? Go back on the ship? Back to the there? ships and get out, yeah. So Tywin, um, wow, he's... But he's had a resounding defeat. I mean, and the, like. and the betting was probably on the other side. And then yeah, all of a yeah. Yeah, many times they think it's over and they think Stannis has won. And then. So Tywin to me looks like the warrior now. Yeah, he's a badass. Wow, so Tyrion, I got to see how he comes back. Yeah. Who's going to minister him? He didn't really look that bad. I mean, just like he had a shaving cut. Yeah, I think it was shock more than anything. So there was a subject. Oh, let's say my favorite scene was when the fire came and yeah, and the drums those and guys everything. Are just, yeah, yeah, they're they're just rolling getting blown the away. That was an that awesome. That was really scene. good. Yeah. That's like, and there are more moments in later seasons, but you're watching it like this is like a movie, except you got to remember this is yeah. a television show. Yeah, yeah, it looked like uh, it looked like Pearl Harbor. Yeah, yeah. The the level the the uh, what do they call production values? Like it's like Hollywood level cinematic and you're thinking that their budget wasn't it was it was certainly big for a tv show but it's, it wasn't anywhere near what it is now i wonder by getting all these actors and actresses that were not well that well known. yeah and now that's out the window because they all make like yeah and when it became popular i'm sure all yeah, our agents yeah, were saying, Wait, yeah. we, we want a little bit more money yeah they're up to i think a few of them are up to like 
four mil an episode or something. Really? Yeah, you're, it's insane what they make. Virus is good. Yeah, he's good. But Tyrion, he makes Tyrion makes a joke about him. I like when he goes. Uh, if that's all you think about, when yeah. Talking about the little boys. Yeah, Tyrion says makes a joke that he's interested in little boys, and uh, Varys says, "I'm not entirely sure." I know what you're suggesting. Yeah. And Tyrion says, I'm entirely sure that you're entirely sure that right, what, what exactly I'm suggesting. <laughs> but they have a good interplay. We like. don't know that. No, we don't know. We don't, we don't know much about Varys yet. The, the, um, the um, Tyrion is still my favorite, but then um, Varys is very good. Um, and uh, this Tywin, I don't know, he, he doesn't have much more of a role than being a yeah, he's More. like the badass. He he's in it. He's a big character, so we'll see. We'll Upcoming. definitely yeah, we'll yeah. see more of Tywin for sure. Good. So we we can't even Rick ask Rick what he Yeah, no, we'll have to wait. Um yeah, we'll be Rick is on a private jet landing in an airfield somewhere trying to find a microphone. So we're going to wait and we'll be back in just a second. Uh, so we watched season two, episode nine tonight. We missed you. We we were looking for input. There was some gender politics at play that we were looking oh. for input. I was trying to think. It'll of come this, up again. The spots where you said, uh, Cersei's kind of. We kind of learn a little bit more about why maybe Cersei's like queen bitch, as she's so lovingly referred to by us. But we'll get into it in another. We get to thank American Airlines for my absence. We should start tweeting them. One thing I would like to discuss, <laughs> which really got to me today, robocalls. Yeah. Yeah, how about what it? What I'm saying to myself after this, because now, you know, and, and I'm sure everybody's pretty, like, privy to this now, but they'll, they they call the first three digits of your phone. Yeah, thinking, they try to make it look like. Okay, but, but that, that's going to last once, right? Like, I was trying to think in my head, how in the world do they think this is working? Well, it's usually people, right? I think when it you probably get those? has worked. But how? Like, first of all, when you see that they do that, and if you are a regular person who says, like, I have to answer every call because I never know whether it's for some safety netting or not. So when you do answer, then you're pissed off and you're not going to give them two more seconds. You're going to just hang up. So no, no, Well, there's no one on the line, right? Or Rick, do you get different ones? I get ones with people on the line. Like, usually it's a click and there's nobody there and then... A hesitation, yeah. And then somebody with an accent I can't place comes on and starts saying, knows my name usually. Oh, I've never and had that. And then I just proceed to just relentlessly fuck with them. Like, I'll just start going, like, <sighs> into the phone, or just like, oh, please. Like, just really ridiculous shit back to them. And you can tell they get pretty pissed off pretty quickly. Oh, so you're not getting computers. Like, hi, this is Janet. No, I, well, sometimes, but sometimes it's, I, get. I get like a click, and you can tell it's a machine, and like they're making sure you pick up, and then it gets forwarded to a person, and then. I get insurance policies or whatever. Because the way I understood it is that when they're purely robocalls, all it's checking is if you answer. And for what purpose? Because then they can sell your information. They can sell your number. Oh, okay. I kept thinking, somebody tell me something that makes sense because it's not two seconds. You're going to just hang up and... Well, now they know your number. They probably have your name already and they know you're a valid 
But then just sell it to somebody who's... Yeah, they'll turn around. Oh. So it's not guaranteeing any kind of sale. But The ones you get, Rick, are they ever like... Are they like IRS scams or anything? Uh, insurance. I think they want, they want to sell you a, a policy or get your information or... But I always to pretend to be that. somebody else or... Um, say that preg- I'm <laughs> Maybe it's an Mpreg call. Yeah, I try to sell them my uh, my Mpreg cells. Uh, uh, or well, you tell them I, you're with the FTC. That's a good one too. They usually hang up pretty quick when you do that. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah. Ah, because um, I tried that with the body shop, the one body shop that said cash only, sir, and I'm there. I, I work for the IRS, and there was dead silence. <laughs> sir, that we're totally. I said, well. Tell me why there's no paper trail. She goes, when the state police show up, there doesn't have to be a paper trail. And I said, it sounds like you're saying just the opposite of the way it should be. Well, that's, that's the rule, sir, and you can take it or leave it, but that's the amount and you got to pay in cash. Yeah, that's the state police, not the feds. What would they say about it? Yeah. I said, well, I just want to make sure you're going to report this as taxable income because that's what I do all day and every day. <laughs> and I knew on my way up there, I'm going to be walking in and seeing some overweight girl with telltale signs of teenage acne and greasy hair and boy the minute i walked in i go you must have been the one i was talking to on the phone and she's like oh how did you know <laughs> i said oh i'm just good with voices oh man oh the oj thing oh did you watch it no uh, uh I didn't well watch do, it should we wait till you watch it or do you want me to go into it just go into it yeah well you're aware of the context uh, he's, he's out, right? Is he saying what he would have really done or, or? Back in 06, he wrote a book. Yeah, uh, this is somebody... the way I would have done it or something. Or... Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's fan it, fiction. If you watch the, the ESPN documentary film, they interviewed the guy that Ghost wrote, wrote it for him. And the guy was like, I, I realized like after talking to him for about an hour that I was talking to the guy who murdered Nicole Brown and Rod Goldman. Like I had no doubt in my mind because he was like, yeah, he was just like, he would start like hy- speaking in hypotheticals and then he'd be like, and then I took the knife and I slit her throat and almost cut her head off and like completely dropped the pretext of it being a hypothetical or <laughs> so, so I just so- want to say before we get in too much into it, it is the official position of in the lion's den that OJ is innocent. There's yes. <laughs> this is, it, in fact, uh, we're renaming the podcast the OJ Innocence Project. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be the number one podcast for furries and OJ <laughs> deniers. There was a tweet that came out when the, the drama, not, not, not the ESPN documentary, but the, the Travolta show, the, the, the dramatization came out. Yeah. Uh, and it just said, <laughs> OJ killed the fuck out them people. <laughs> Uh, but no, well, and you know that, not to digress too much, but the, that show's back and they're doing, uh, I think Gucci's killing, right? Yeah. 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 I saw that. Or Versace. Oh Versace. my right. God. Is Travolta in it? No, 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 no. Well, what the hell is the point of even watching it? It was like some Filipino mass murderer from Jersey, I think, went to Miami and killed Versace, like in front of his house. Uh, yeah. A- anyway. Um, so back when, when this book was written. The Goldman sued because they, it's kind of a long story, but the, the, he was found criminally liable. So they, they took him to court, to civil court, which is what you were just saying you were selected for, Uncle Denwin. Right, right. They took him to civil court and basically 
all the evidence that the Ito corrupted and fucked up during the criminal threw, trial. Yeah, they they threw a lot of that crap out. They were able to bring that stuff to the table, right? Exactly, and they, he it was pretty much the jury's conclusion was. Like that tweet, OJ killed the fuck out them people, <laughs> uh, and they they just awarded in in, in 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 punitive damages just millions of dollars, like pretty much yeah. all of his ad money or and and all of his or it's like sponsor money and all of his uh, pension and and uh, which they've got none of, right? So so he moved immediately moved to Florida. Florida where pensions are protected, and so they weren't allowed to touch it and. I guess this is a good segue into what happened in 2006. He 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 took all of his memorabilia and all of his hanger on hangers on that uh, helped him throughout the trial and stuck with him and like the piece of shit agents that were with him and everything like that. He gave it to them and put it into storage units and said, "It's yours. It's not mine." And that way, the Goldmans can't get it. And then, like once I get out of this, you'll give it back to me. Ah, oh, that they, was the story. Of yeah, I didn't know all that. They immediately double crossed him and sold it to collectors, right? So, uh, in '06, in all the stuff gets lost, and he got pissed. In '06, uh, after well, he writes this book. The Goldmans uh, are trying to get theirs because they still haven't really been able to punish him at all. They 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 went to a judge and said, "We want rights to the book." And they changed the cover to say, instead of saying, <laughs> if I did it, it just basically said, I did it. And, like, the if was, like, hidden in, like, one pixel. In front the, of cover's the cover is awesome. Yeah. Like, Daddy, yeah. come take a look at this. this is oh, so that, that, was the, that was the, uh, that's what they won in, in like. Yes. They, run, they won all the proceeds from the book sales or. Right. And, and there were a lot of people that said. It's disgusting that they allowed it to be published. They should have won the rights and then said it can't be published. And, you know, you could argue about that, but I don't really question anything those people do. They, they got royally fucked. The yeah, people. yeah. Um, Starting with the brutal murder of their daughter. <laughs> well, no, no, this is the Goldmans, not the Browns. But uh, uh, the Browns kind of just wanted to get out of the limelight. Like, the Goldmans father made it his fucking mission like he turned into man yeah. on fire and like wanted to, to just make it his mission in life to screw over oj simpson um when he when the book before before they got control of the book he did like a media tour where he went and did interviews i, th- I think one with fox where he described the book and the goldman's and uh chris darden who was the the moron district attorney who made him try on the gloves and, and basically, like, fucked up everything in the trial. And was uh, he playing with Marsha or not? Probably. I mean... The rumor was he was the show, playing with Marsha. The show really the sh- insinuated that they were... The cool. show, like, hinted at it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he and I think the Browns and the Goldmans all, like... Uh, raised hell with Fox over recording the interview, and Fox said, "We're not, we're not going to show it. Uh, it's in bad taste. We shouldn't have recorded it. We're just going to, we're going to toss it along with the first episodes of In the Lines Dead into the vault." <laughs> well, for whatever reason, Fox decided to air it last weekend, and, the, holy- and this was wait, this was the interview from 2006, correct? When he was going to release this book, right? Before the uh, Goldman's okay. got a hold of it, so I should uh, say well, it wasn't depositions or anything. 
No, 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 no. It was an interview with Fox, like a media interview. Oh, okay, okay. I should say before I get into that, when when he when he gave all of his stuff to the hangers on and it started getting sold to collectors, they like double crossed him. He found he found out that some guy who was like an OJ stalker uh, had all this memorabilia, and and it was like stuff that he had given to these guys and they weren't supposed to sell. And so he arranged for this other, like, scumbag to go to Vegas and buy the stuff, right? Meanwhile, he gets a bunch of his, his pals from Miami where he was living to say, we're going to go in there with guns and get all my stuff back because we're it's my stuff guys. and it doesn't belong <laughs> yeah. to him. So they you go got to be the... a tough guy. Like, he, I remember one of them saying, you got to really go in there and be tough with him. Yeah, right. And hold the pistol sideways and all that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and the recording, because I think... Either somebody picked up nine one one when they walked in the room, or somebody, somebody, or I think one of the assholes that was involved because they knew they were going to get in trouble and they wanted to double cross OJ because he's such a pe- like everybody that gets involved with this guy ends up fucking stabbing him in the back because he's such a piece of shit. But Except, yeah. they were recording it and like it's a riot because he's just like it's just him screaming motherfuckers, you steal my shit, motherfucker. <laughs> How did he- Leslie Nielsen get to be there? <laughs> He he went on the record saying he's a he did it. Did you know that? Oh really? Mm. Yeah, in an interview saying I'm ashamed to have been in those films with the the guy. He he's a terrible human being or something like that. Uh, anyway, well, that, that thing in the hotel room was a shit show. I have seen some clips of that. That was almost a comedic kind of a skit. Jeez. Like, well, that must have been right after. What year was that? Oh, that was oh seven. Yeah. Okay. I think so. So. It's interesting because people think it was just like a one-off thing. That that was a direct result of... I mean, the Goldmans kind of got him, right? Because he got rid of all that stuff to get away from giving it to them. And then his ego couldn't bear to be away from it. And he went back to get it and robbed and the guy at gunpoint. And sold it. And then he ended up in jail for it. So, I mean, they kind of indirectly got to him, right? But Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, like, a lot of people didn't realize that, that that whole episode was related to the trial. Like, it wasn't... Or related to the killings, or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the killings were approximate cause then to when it ended up happening there, uh, which is interesting. But anyway, back to the interview with Fox. So Fox, for whatever reason, last weekend decides to release this interview and, and air it. Um, and it seems like to me the media, prior to his parole hearing last year, where he was granted parole, uh, you know, with with the show and then the ESPN documentary, they really have it out for the guy now. It's almost like he's a mark for them because I I, I don't know why. You know, like why would that? Why would Fox release this interview after he's back in civil society? Other than to say to like be like, oh, this guy's like a tremendous piece of shit. We want everybody to know. But it starts out with him basically. Or was it from the TV show? Was such a big splash? Yeah, or it could, yeah, you know, it could just be cynical ratings whoring. Uh, yeah, it's definitely evening. ratings. Yeah, because yeah, the ESPN documentary kind of takes a an ambiguous stance towards the end and says he shouldn't have been. He was treated unfairly in Nevada in the Nevada trial, and it was almost like the justice system trying to take a mulligan on him. Uh, he shouldn't have gotten life in jail for it and everything like that. Uh, and you know what? Maybe, but 
I don't think anybody should shed, shed a tear for the guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, like, if, if you're going to worry about injustice in, in the in the criminal justice system, there, there's a lot of things you should start with before you worry about fucking O.J. Simpson, as far yeah, as I'm yeah. concerned. You know that but, Mark Furman works for Fox News yeah, now? Yeah, he's a consultant. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a consultant. We live in a beautiful, beautiful world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the chef kiss. The, <laughs> the pizza box. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, this interview, he, he starts off talking about, he's like, yeah, hypothetically, if I were there, I had, I would have had this guy, my buddy Charlie with me and Charlie and I would have walked up and, uh, we'd be, we'd hypothetically, like he starts every sentence and, 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 and interrupts the middle of almost every sentence with the word hypothetically, and then just goes on to describe in vivid detail, hypothetically, the murders. And then by the end, he's not talking about this guy Charlie anymore, and he's not talking about uh, hypotheticals. He's just like basically restepping in sequence what he did that night, and he talks about Goldman and starts like gleefully giggling into the camera about this 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 guy shows up in this karate stance and he's trying to stop me from doing what I'm doing. And I took care of him real quick. I put him on the ground and I just dug the knife into him like 10 different times. I just like gleefully oh recounted. It, it, it is it is horrific. I know. Well, like Almost with a glaze in his eyes. like Not not even a glaze, like a, like a shining glint. Like <laughs> Really? You, you can tell he's like thick and clear and like almost just thumbing his nose and everybody like, yeah, I fucking got away with it. And it, 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 is, it is absolutely disgusting. So yeah. <laughs> don't, well, don't watch it. Now? Full Where is he now? I think uh, back in Florida, I guess. Yeah, well, no, I think he's he's in Vegas still because he can't he can't leave Nevada as a condition of the parole. Um, so, but they still can't get his pension or anything because he's. I don't know. I don't know how all that. I, I don't think they've gotten anything. It's you know, but but I well, they got like the book, said, but yeah, they and they and indirectly got him put in jail. Right. So they. Uh, yeah, you're right. Mr. Goldman was obsessed. Right. So I always wondered how, I mean, okay, he was a football player, but he was long past his prime. And how did he, did he, did he I wonder, he snuck up on her, I guess, or how did he not incur anything other than them scrapes on his knuckles when there was two of them and just him? I mean, I guess he took them by surprise and he probably got to Goldman before Goldman even knew what hit him and sliced his throat or something. He, 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 well, if you want to know, just go watch the interview because he recounts the entire process. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you think he'll confess on his deathbed? That's a good question. Probably not. I think he'll die quietly with, without a peep. His knees are ravaged. I know that. I was yeah. Reading. Why did he get out? Because of his health? No, like by all accounts, he's been a model citizen in there. And I, I think the parole board recognized that. The punishment probably didn't fit the crime. Uh, I, I watched the parole hearing, and you could kind of see they were just kind of shrugging, like, "Yeah, like there's no reason to keep you in here." He's done so, enough, so. yeah. But uh, so, are we still in the lion's den? Is still proclaiming his innocence? Are we? <laughs> I stand by what I said. <laughs> <laughs> and the robocalls, which was my big question, was they're just trying to get numbers to sell lists, huh? That's what I think. Jeez. You think OJ's behind that? Well, I, I was just going to say. <laughs> if he's guilty of anything. <laughs> All right. I got to share that info because I could not think of what reason they would have 
And okay, the first time they get you, but then you're like really obsessed with it and you go, ah. But I have to answer everything. Oh, yeah, that's right. I don't. Yeah, you know, I never know. If a call comes in, it comes in with the company name. And then I know that to answer that way. But when there's other numbers coming in, I don't have any idea whether it's a sales call or somebody looking for netting. So, James, do you have the millennial aversion to phones? Well, I can't because of my job, but yeah. I was going to ask because you, <laughs> you, you, you do, but you, you have to muscle through it because of your job. Every that, time I make a call at work, I scream and cry. And you break into a cold sweat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, though. I can't stand when people call me. <laughs> oh, like, you mean as opposed to a text? Yeah. Just so, text. yeah, people our age, Uncle, that don't want to go near. Right, friends. right. Uh, That's this text so much better. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we were, we were in, um, we were, when we were in Vancouver, um, my uh, my significant other's little brother was in the room. He he was on an earlier flight and got there before us. So I got there and since we didn't have the cells, I, I got on the house phone and called up to the room and he, he didn't pick up. <laughs> and uh, we got to the room and I was like, and he's, and like the first thing he said was, was that you calling? And I said, I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I don't like answering the phone. I didn't pick it up. <laughs> he goes, I thought it was you, but I didn't pick it up. <laughs> is that good? Is that good, or is that a black mark on our? Is that going to hurt you in the long run? Or I don't think it'll hurt the long run. I think it's kind of weird. It doesn't like it used to bother me, but not so much anymore. So wait, who? The fact that you're the millennials don't want to get on the phone and talk. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a little weird. And, and I mean, in the annals of society, is that going to be a detriment, or do you think? <laughs> I don't think it's healthy, though. Oh, uh, talk on the phone? You know, you got to talk. Not being able to talk on the phone. Or, you know, just you're shutting down one form of communication, which I think, although I love texting and it certainly has its place, it's um, certainly not the same as talking to someone. In, in the purest sense of communication, that's... So, I don't have any... I'm trying to think of how I feel about You don't it. think it's I don't think I have any opinion on it at all. Carrier pigeon. <laughs> Or maybe yeah, you just don't to want to talk me. about it. Why don't you text us? Well, I'm kind of skewed because I have to call for work and it sucks. What's the expression on the boy's face, Uncle Dunn? Is he, does he look like yeah, he's going to cross? He's just staring into the void. He's bleeding from the eyes. No opinion whatsoever. <laughs> I was thinking about, I've just finished this book, fascinating book, in the Lions Library. We got a new segment. Deep Work by a guy named Cal Newport, and it's essentially all about how, I mean... That's not a real name. What's that? That's not a real name. Cal Newport. Cal Newport. That's a Well, he like, he went to, uh, he went to MIT. He's like a weird freak, so I bet he's got a weird freak planet parent. (laughs) Believe me, I know. Rick Catamaran knows fake names. (laughs) That's a fake name. Uh, but essentially, it's all about how, like, smartphones and these, like, instant dopamine hits from social media and everything have ruined our ability to work and focus deeply. What say you? <laughs> Has it ruined it? I don't know if it's ruined it. It's Not ruined, it. but uh, he talks about how, like, they've done studies where it takes intense don't say they conch- don't, don't say they've done studies. Somebody's done studies. Cal I can't has. stand when people say they've done. They've studies. done studies. The, Newton, the whole Newton family. The new new force family has done studies. 
Um, where essentially it takes a conscious and intense effort to like to draw your attention away from these things. Not social media because that makes it sound too like anti-millennial. But uh, he talks about work emails. Like people like this artificial business of like answering emails all day, and that's such like a distraction to f- deep focused work. Yeah, like I, answering emails in the line of work. You mean? Or yeah, what? like. How there's this just nonsensical, like, nonstop back and forth of, like, just shallow problems that need to be addressed that completely ruin and sap a person's ability to, like, take time to really focus and do their job. Or rather than picking up the phone and calling the person. <laughs> no, the walk. <laughs> no, Easy. this is different. No, I, I would agree that uh, people like Gen Xers and Boomers are that way with work email. Um, I don't have that at all. I, I don't have it pushed to my phone. I think I am, I'm probably maligned at, at work because I deliberately don't want it on my phone. I, I, I do check Twitter all the time, but like solely for the jokes. So maybe there is an addictive factor there, but like there are a lot of people that I follow on Twitter that say hilarious shit. So. <laughs> I think there's definitely an addictive for any, for anybody. But I think it's it's a it's a question of uh, like he talks about just being mindful of it and limiting it if you need to get productive work done. Yeah, that's fair. He talks about how a lot of these writers who like really prolific and and uh, scientists will go on like retreats and stuff where they don't even where they're completely disconnected. Yeah, that's a little silly. Yeah, he says like that's extreme, obviously, but. The I think the whole Sounds thrust like a of the book jerk is, to me. <laughs> the whole thrust of the book is like basically don't let your work sacrifice due to like just noise, never ending, constant noise that never shuts up. I, I think you should totally let your work sacrifice for the memes. <laughs> I should, do it all the time. Work should work should kneel before the memes. I worship at the altar of memes. <laughs> I think I got to get into this Twitter thing. <laughs> I actually got out of it. I'm done. Really? Yeah, I don't read it at all anymore. Well, do you look at the ones I send you or no? Yeah, I ever look at the ones you send. Yeah. It was a conscious effort to No, to actually, do it? No. I don't think it was conscious at all. I just like just backed away from Facebook was the first to go and then I cut that off yeah, like 2 years Instagram. ago. Instagram but you know what I have noticed? Because then you start to sound like sacrosanct when you talk about this shit. But I do notice that when you step away from one, like I stopped using Facebook, I noticed a couple of things. One, that I had less interest to be involved in any of them. Like Instagram was probably the next to go. Uh, and then two, you notice the sameness of content. It doesn't any, All social media is like an echo chamber of just nonsense, which is fine. It can, and it can be really entertaining. But uh, you you realize the sameness of it all. Oh yeah, uh, what's his name? Uh, Adam Adam Curtis. When he went on Chapo, he there's some. Re- you should listen to that if you never listen to it. He or, or watches his movies are a little overwrought, and he uh, he takes some liberties with some things, but they're still really good. Uh, if you if Adam, you keep, what is it? Adam Curtis. He's a British documentarian filmmaker, but he he. Um, he talks about in one of his latest films about the idea that's uh, put forward by social media platforms that your 
you're an individual, right? Like everybody, everybody wants to think that they have individuality or that they're individuals on social media platforms. But, uh, the, the way, you know, and he compares it to political parties and, and, and the duality and like the dividing line. Like now that like, if one person has one belief, uh, you can pretty much map out the rest of their political ideology based on that one belief because everybody's so in two different buckets. But social media like Facebook and Twitter have managed to square the circle. And he, he, he says it in like this very plonky like British accent. And he's like, so you all think that you're individuals on your Twitter and your Facebook, but they've squared the circle, haven't they? You're all just little individual piglets, and they heard you, and they know they have algorithms that know exactly where you're going to go and exactly how you're going to react, and you feel as though you're an individual and operating on your own, and you're very special and unique, but you're not. <laughs> and it, it, it makes a good point. Like, I know that that's yeah, that's kind of why I step away from it. It's like because these are clearly you're right. Like we, we like to think it's like a platform, but these are private corporations with uh, obvious agendas. And, and but all of them now, like Twitter, you not too long ago was entirely random in the sense that it was time based, right? Like what you saw was based on, you know, the time it was posted. Exactly. And the fine stuff, you either had somebody have to send it to you or retweet it and you had to be there when it was retweeted or um, or you missed it or you would have to go back and look for it. You know, and now here's a big word curated i was just gonna say the word now it's yeah. curated to you it's, everything's it's, curated the experience is entirely uh cookie cutter to your individual interest that it learned like they they're it's machine learning like the, the, their systems go in and learn what you like and what you look at down to like the seconds that you're looking at individual tweets and, and it's only going to get more and more powerful, I think, unless people on mass kind of step away from it. Well, I certainly think everybody should with Facebook. Uh, tw- Twitter, I still find useful for a lot of different reasons. Why, why though, Facebook? Is it just is it just very uh, chic to, to to hammer that? Is it? I mean, is it the same as everything else? I think they're the same. I think all the social media are. As bad as but it seems mix. like uh, when I'm out and about, I hear a lot of people going, oh, I don't go on there. Like, that's some bad Well, thing. Facebook probably has been the most transparent about how, if Terrible. this makes sense. Yeah. Like, almost transparent about how untransparent they actually are. H- like, how do you mean now? What? Uh, how manipulative they can be. Oh, okay. But don't you think a large majority go on there to see relatives and how are the kids and... I don't know if that's the the chief principal purpose no. anymore. No, yeah, I mean, I think people use that as an excuse to not get rid of it when, like, they're getting dopamine fed into their brain yes. when a buddy of theirs yeah. shares, shares some stupid meme that makes yeah. no sense. the 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 meme The meme sharing and and like insanity of Facebook is turned up to eleven compared to yeah. Twitter. Uh, yeah. Twitter's bad enough, but like when you get on Facebook, there like there is some wild ass shit going on, and and they love it, and, and and plus the fact that they like as much data as as Twitter's logging on you, Facebook is trying to log everything about you and sell it to people. Like that should give everybody pause. The fact that they started offering this stuff for free and people got a hit of the drug, and and never wanted to pay for stuff, was terrible for society because. Like Europe has all, it's opt in. Like if you want to, 
if you want Google to sell your information or to allow Google to sell your information or allow Facebook, you have to tell them it's okay to. Here, it's opt out, and a lot of them don't even let you opt out. <laughs> so like, I, I would much rather pay a monthly fee than let them be like constantly surveilling me, which is exactly what they're doing. Whether they whether they're being nefarious with it or not, you know, who knows? But I, I would. And guess that's what like, and what's scarier? And like, I am the furthest thing from like you know a luddite or anti technology or something. But the implications of that, I think, are like <laughs> truly scary. A, I think they're inevitable. Like, I don't think I think we're too far along. I don't think anything will change. But just to at least have some illusion of like well at least i can step back away from it because and not be like a willing volunteer in this are there going <laughs> to be not to more? mention the fact that i think beyond like entertainment which it has its purposes there i think for the most part it's harmful legitimately harmful especially for young people i think social media does far more damage than it does any good and are there going to be more twitters yeah, think, yeah yeah i don't think why isn't think... there a bunch now? I'm surprised that there's not. There are. Oh, there are. Oh, there yeah. are. Okay. But like what? Uh, Snapchat and all this? No, that's I don't even know. Right? What's, the, what's the newest platform, Rick? Uh, Snapchat maybe, right? Snapchat and Instagram, I think, are the two. There's probably most... some that are big in high schools right now that we don't even know. No, there is. Damn it. There's one that the teens use that uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um But social media as a whole, I don't think, will disappear because people, like like Rick said, you get a dopamine hit from every little yeah. You hear you hear excuses says, like, "Well, I don't want to, I don't want to not be able to keep up with family or see pictures of kids." And it's like that's bullshit. Like you're you're really getting <laughs> you're addicted to it, and you don't you're using that as a convenient excuse because that's that's ostensibly a normal reason to not want to get rid of it. You don't want to say that <laughs> I, I I get a semi every time I read a good meme on. <laughs> Uh, it seems like it's worn out its welcome to yeah, me as far as well for a lot of people yeah, I mean yeah. even from the people who say well I like to go in there and check on family well how much I mean yeah. it, you know after a couple of years it was like I don't think this stuff applies to you for the most part because you're not someone who like you use it much differently people our age I know people who are literally on their phones checking social media like every hour on the hour of the entire waking day it's like just that this constant drip feed of like, I don't know what they're getting from it other than a quick boost of like the reward system in your brain has been literally hacked in a sense that, like Rick said, there's machines that are learning and using tools to make sure that your brain is tickled in such a way that you're rewarded for clicking that icon every you're, single time. You're in the matrix now. <laughs> yeah, you really are. And it's like, what are you getting out of it? I don't know. What are these uh, people who, right? truly, what are you getting from it? If it's entertainment or something like that, or you're checking in every once in a while, I understand the appeal. But I think a lot of people are straight up, like you said, addicted and don't even realize it. Right. And it's and hard self- to have a conversation like this without, probably to a lot of people listening, <laughs> this would come <laughs> oh, across. At least 28 of them. <laughs> <laughs> this would, 33 we're at. This would come across as just, you know, like Luddite, like old fashioned but you know. Get the hell off my lawn. I'm 25 and the furthest thing from anti-technology, but the fact that these things are so integral to our so. Every- so- we should actually watch that documentary and then do an episode on it. Though. Yeah, it's called, that it's called Hyper. Interesting. 
you should definitely listen to his interview where he describes it, but that, the documentary is called Hypernormalization, and he talks about these writers from the 80s who, through their science fiction, they were science fiction novelists, through their their work, predicted this happening. Not necessarily in who? the way not, that it not did. Not Huxley or... No, well, Huxley was much older than that. The, the, these are guys in the 80s. Oh, okay. It, it, it was people who hacked into the, like, cyberspace. It was called, like, cyberspace in the books. And uh, once they got Gibson there, or? it was like Nirvana. They, they, they became enlightened, but be, their brains literally were destroyed. Like, <laughs> Who were the writers? Not, not uh, Gibson. I, no, I think they he were. in the 80s. I think they may have been Russian writers, or oh, okay. uh, I'll look it up. Well, I, I, there's another book that is referenced in Deep Work because I probably mentioned social media, even though that really wasn't his focus. His focus was more like the uh, little distractions in the modern work office. He absolutely eviscerates the 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 push towards open office layouts. Which I didn't realize came from Silicon Valley. Like, Facebook was the first one to really have a big open office layout. You mean no cubicles? Yeah, this is like... Everybody's in this... Everyone's, like, open. It's awful. It's terrible. It's... And he lays out this whole argument and shows studies or whatever data to say how harmful it is to people's ability to work and concentrate. Why did they think it was so good? They, They like this term creative serendipity which means like they picture somebody like an engineer a walking by idea, a design guy yeah and say like oh hey would you hear about this when it's complete nonsense really what happens is no one can focus and, and figure out well not no one i will they he does say that some people's personalities mesh where they can work in that environment and for a lot of other people it's like you're completely ruined yeah especially people that are on the phone i don't know yeah. that everybody wants to hear it's tough the next guy's thing and- so he references this other book that was uh, published previously this deep work was published i think like within the last couple of years uh, but he references a book called the shallows by a writer called nicholas carr um that goes into, I think, more into the, the subtitle of the book is how the internet is changing the way we think, read, and remember. And I think he discusses more social media influence and uh, the ability to even just search information like right at the tip of your fingers, how that uh, impacts human cognitive abilities and tendencies. But I'm going to read this too and see... Is texting considered social media or no? No, no. I, I had this conversation with Bobby, and I think he's he's come around on it. But it it was pretty interesting that he didn't express any kind of concern that you know the, the Orwellian vision of totalitarian regimes, government, pu- public sectors that would exert total control over its subjects. Right? Um, that if you like. You, you, the the idea of the surveillance state, like you, you, you see so much and, and, and to an extent that exists now. Right. But to a larger extent and a more insidious extent, we've given that power to corporations. Right. And, and like gleefully. Right. Yeah. Like it's almost as even if the boomers, even you guys who you would think. This is what I mean. Bo- Bobby. Right. Bob, Bobby didn't give a shit when I pointed that out to him. He yeah. was like, it doesn't matter. The corporations have it there. I, they're not going to do anything with it. Like I, and I was like, no, like they're even less constrained by, 
you know, the veneer or the veil of have a government having a duty to its citizens. They only they, they have no duty to anybody. They're, they're, they're like independent actors and can do whatever they want. And especially, the you know, our education system invests so much in Orwell and the dangers of uh, totalitarianism as he saw it, that people only fear that in government. They don't really give a shit about it in corporate, in the corporate America. And it's worse in there now. <laughs> um, like you, now we all, like you said, gleefully, we, we willingly and gleefully buy these cute little devices that are literally listening to what you say when you're not talking to it. There's like, one, I'm looking at one right now. <laughs> <laughs> Am but, I? Uh, but I'm only going honest, through the headphones, right? It can't hear me. But, I don't but, have one. <laughs> However, uh, I bet it is still here. <laughs> one of the things when I talked about, for example, Uber giving them my credit card, and your response was, "Come on, everybody has it anyway." Yeah, but but yet you're pointing to that. Yeah, but she's got it too. That's a microphone in the house. It's listening to everything that happens. To me, everything or just when you say Alexa. To to be able to listen no, they, for you, they, you say Alexa. They got in has trouble on all the time. They got in trouble for yeah. They got in trouble for recording people's voices when you're not talking to it. But I will say on Bobby's behalf, I can almost understand. Like I don't necessarily agree with that viewpoint, but I can at least. I think it's valid to say like I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? I think that that's valid. I don't agree with it, but I think that at least you're acknowledging that it exists where there are people who are like, nah, they don't do that, which is worse to an extent. I, I don't, I don't know if you're saying, <laughs> I mean, if you watch a crime and you go, well, you know, I can see that. No, that. no, but I'm saying like, it's an objective fact that that thing's listening. We acknowledge that. Yeah. Maybe we don't care. A lot of people say I have nothing to hide. Listening or recording? Probably both. Rick, you say what? I, I agree with that. Recording. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, it, well, I, I, I'm not definitively claiming that it is doing that. It would not surprise me in the least if it is. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. And with what, a, what, with what end to result? To sell you, to sell you better. To really? gather to more cr- information yeah, so yeah. they can pump to more. To create, yeah. they want to know every aspect of your life. Like what, like with uh, social media, like Facebook. When you're looking at vehicles and not even going in and filling out anything, the next day I saw things yeah, like ads and stuff. How yeah. is that happening? They have everything. Like. For one, for one small example, I would go on a Sunday afternoon about four, and there's you know it's not open, and just go and look at. And the next day, I'd be damned if there wasn't yeah. something in Facebook. Some up. shred of cyber information that maybe Jeez. you search for something or yeah, it might have been that. I was trying to retrace and think, how could they do that when it wasn't even open? I didn't go out and fill out paperwork, and and that's what this is. Yeah. Well, and I think it's inevitable. Like, I don't – maybe this is messed up to say. I don't think there's anything we can do. When, when I Rick, asked you about think? it, you kind of threw up your hands. Yeah, said, it's well, kind of – even Google, like something as simple as Google probably has like a dossier on every single person. Yeah, and absolutely. The, uh, well, as no, I don't machine know the, learning advances and everything, I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll get anywhere but more omniscient. <laughs> I, I don't know that. Well, yeah, I, I don't know that it's it's so fatalist. Uh, I, it's more of a question of is there a will to halt it than can it be halted? Uh, I don't think it's reached critical mass, it, and it like this folds into a larger political discussion than it does. Um, 
sim- simply like social media and technology. But yeah, you, you got you got to watch hypernormalization. Is it all sales related? Is what I'm asking you. Well, I guess that's like the ultimate question: yeah. is what can it be, or to what extent can we be like manipulated by these invisible fingers and not even realize it? Yeah, and if well, it's with. The- if it's with the point of trying to sell you something, we can. Live that's with what it. I mean. Like yeah. that—that's I think is a valid response. Is like, fine. Then they have a profile of me and know I want to buy like protein powder yeah. within the week or whatever. But I think that the fear is that there's that that's a lot of power for a private yeah. corporation with its own agenda. Alexa, do you agree? <laughs> <laughs> Are you in the CIA? (laughs) She just answered. I don't know what she said. She said thank you, I think. Okay. Isn't it interesting, though, like, people like Jones, uh, who is a a complete charlatan and fraud, but, like, we talked about those conspiracy theories, like, they survive because the world as it is is so difficult to, to accept. You have to invent an even more bizarre explanation of what's going on uh it like so it, it's kind of the idea behind this the, the so the i guess there was a book written about the collapse of the soviet union the, the this guy adam curtis took the title of the documentary called hypernormalization from that like towards the collapse of the soviet union it was such a large institution and, and like kind of speaking to what you're saying james about <clears throat> um, is it just a critical, ma- like a fatal, a fatal machine that, that, that can't be stopped? The, the, the train's going down the track. There, it's such a large institution, and so many people's lives. You know, people have so much shit going on in their lives to, to think about, like all these catastrophic failures of society. Um, things just start to become to happen that become off center and not quite right. And people just adjust their reality to compensate. And everybody just keeps going on until there's a rupture point and they don't anymore. And in the Soviet Union's case, that was the collapse of society. But the, the, the premise of the, the rest of the film with what's going on in the West is that since the 80s, politicians in America on both sides of the aisle basically sold out to finance and, and technology. And allowed, you know, financial institutions and corporate, they're like the American government should basically just a shell for those two institutions to run everything. And as evidenced by what happened in 2008, right? That's one of his big um, rupture points that in 2008, the major American banks acted awfully, terribly. You know, in a manner that should have been punished, like thousands of them should have gone to jail. And, and that was pr- everybody, almost everybody on either side of the aisle agreed with that. And then the politicians, what did they do? They just gave them money. Nothing happened. No, 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 nobody was brought to bear for it. And instead, everything just kind of marched on. And everybody got really mad about it for a while. And a lot of people still are. But because everybody has to go on about their lives and it takes so much energy and, and momentum to fight something like that. Uh, nothing really changed. And instead, reality kind of shifted. Like, the, the norm shifted. And what he what he calls it became hyper-normal. And that, and that, so, 
now you can get away with stuff like uh, like it's, it was a, it was a trial balloon to see what they could get away with, and they got away with it. And now they know they can get away with more, and they'll just keep doing that until we reach another rupture point. It's it's a really interesting premise, I think. Uh, I would have to. The only thing I would think would be. Well, when it comes to the technology, I think that you could at least see, you could trace a linear path of progression that would have, like, is was going to leave, would get to this point inevitably, no matter what. Um, Even if it was shepherded better by by more, by less, uh, with people with less ill will, you think? It, it, it would have reached it anyway? Yeah. Due to, due to what? Why? Like I don't think that regulation would be able to contain. Then you get the whole free speech thing. The too, technology. And, and how you gonna, how you gonna mix the both? I mean, well, whole... what happened with the banks? We can address that because, I, I, that's been going on forever. You know what I mean? Like, the powerful are gonna. It's awful to say, but they're gonna, you know, take advantage of those not in power. You saw it in the 20s, and you saw it again in 2008, and you saw it in 87, and you saw it in 2001. I mean, I don't necessarily know that it's anything new. I think it's horrible that it's continuing, and they want to repeal more of Dodd-Frank now. But people went to jail in those other cases. Like, in the savings and loan crisis, people actually went to jail for it. Like, I mean... It, it, what happened in 08, like, they got money. Like, they, they did all that, and they got money as a result of it. <laughs> the government gate wrote them a blank check. Like, you know. And what was their, what was their mortal sin? That they, that they were allowing people to have mortgages that had no right having those size mortgages? Well, they, they, no. It was more, to me, I think the graver sin is they knew that they were selling junk bonds oh, okay. and securities. And packaging them in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that would systemically crash everything. Like, yeah, and the biggest thing is that the rating agencies knew it as well. The S&P and Moody's both knew it. And they were rating them like the same level rating as a U.S. government bond. But and that's, like, I don't think that it will ever change. I think that... But without punishment whatsoever. So in the... I'm looking at the wiki. In the 80s, there were a bunch of acid freaks in the 80s and 90s that got older and started to theorize (laughs) maybe through acid flashbacks on the coming wave of technology and one of them who called himself a cyber libertarian um basically wrote a, a, a manifesto to the world and in it, and this is a quote from it, the global social space we are, and this was in the 90s, the global social space we are building to be naturally independent of the tyrannies you seek to impose upon us. Meanwhile, there were the, this other group of people who were extremely online, to use a, t- a current term. They knew that what the corporations were doing was using the internet to exert more control over everybody than governments had ever done. And allow that to like kind of rise to the top. And meanwhile, government could continue to be scapegoat and everybody would be afraid of it, uh, allowing corporations to rise up and take care of or take, take over everything. And that's kind of what's happened. Like, and people just, like, like you said, maybe, maybe it is at a critical mass, but that, that, that's the idea, the premise put forward here that 
it is a critical mask, and it, it, the reality is just going to keep shifting and getting weirder and weirder, and people are going to give up more and more. But I, I, I'm not that big of a cynic or pessimist, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily. I, I almost look at it like neutrally, like I, as far as machine learning and all that. I think that in the long term, this will be seen as growing pains and steps along the footpath towards like true AI, which I think will be the biggest paradigm shift in human, like human nature since probably since agriculture. But I think that taking the long term, and I don't mean within the next 50 years, I mean like within the next hundred or 200. would be like, uh, the this will, movie where there's the gigolo robot. Yeah, <laughs> Jude Law gigolo or whatever. <laughs> uh, where this will be seen and viewed as an inevitable. Like, I, I'm not sure that any government or well-intentioned regulation would be able to contain the rapid and, and non-stop advances in technology that we've seen even in the past 20 years, like what we've lived through. Stevie Wonder said, when you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> Superstition everywhere. Yeah, that's right. Or put another way, that like even countries in the EU or Scandinavia, or I don't know where, who have much stronger privacy laws, I don't believe for a second that these platforms don't have access to the same level. Of but there is, a lar- there is a cultural effort to oppose yeah, it there. Whereas right. here, it's much more of a fa- either a fatal or willing or gleeful, like you said, acceptance of it. Yeah, Whereas I those countries were, would be very willing to say, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, but I think even if they do say that, it doesn't, I don't think it would It matter. makes a difference, yeah. yeah. Do, do you, Uncle Den, do you remember Network? Do you remember Ned Beatty and Network? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the speech he gave? I, I, I keep recalling when he said... <laughs> I'm not going to take any more <laughs> I've had enough, and I'm not going to take any more words. Uh, I'm mad as hell. I'm uh, mad as hell, and I'm not going to, but I don't remember the speech now. The, the, so Ned Bait, that was, uh, what's his name? That, that was the main character, the the anchor. But the, Ned, Ned Beatty was like the network exec, right? Oh, that, like, he's great. He pulled him into the, are you familiar with the, the film, James? It was from no. like the 70s. Oh, you got to watch it. It's a great film. What's it called? Network. Network. Um, it's about like a a network anchor that kind of sees these trends happening and and goes all noble and uh, on the network and gives this big speech and uh, he gets taken to task by one of the like the network executive pulls him into his giant dark office with the green lamps and the long table and like turns the lights off and then. Like, it's this really eerie silence and awkward moment. And then all of a sudden, he, like, the light comes up on him and he goes, You have meddled with the primal forces of nature and I won't have it. And then he gives him, like, this long speech about, he's like, He's like, you, th- you think you know what's going on here? Do you think you're enlightened? He's like, You get up there on your little TV and you howl about America and democracy. And he's like, There is no America, there is no democracy. There's only IBM and AT&T and Dow Chemical and Exxon. He's like, 
these are the nations of the world. Don't you understand it? He's like, the Russians understand it. The Chinese understand it. And it's time you do too. Like, these are the forces that rule the world. And if you think you can stop them, you're, you're, you're mightily mistaken. It's like this brilliant speech he gives. Oh, and that was Ned. Given yeah, that. that was Ned Beatty. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> he played a corporate monster in, in a Rockford file too. Did he really? Same, yeah, same kind of notion. He's telling them, you, you know, you go around and spread these rumors. You can throw everything out of balance. And Rockford saying, really? I can do that just by telling other people. And he played the same kind of a corporate monster. I yeah. got, we got to watch that again. We should watch that together. Too. Yeah, yeah. We can watch Our that. children will live to see the perfect world in which there is no war or famine, oppression or brutality. Only one vast and ecumenical holding company for whom all men will work to serve a common profit. <laughs> and who is the biggest of the monsters now? Google, maybe. Uh... So you're thinking in lines of even more so than these petrochemical companies. These are just... Yeah, because I think that the, the tech companies have access to our intimate personal lives in a way that none of these corporations... Yes. My, my hot take is the Democrats, uh, and here's why. Because they profess to be the party of the little guy and, and the working man that will protect you against these corporate interests when they are just as neck deep in it as the Republicans are. At least the Republicans are naked in their corruption. The Democrats want you to think they're not. And they allow... Google, Facebook, the oil companies to go unfettered and unregulated, and the banks and finance uh, to go unregulated uh, w- while they want you to believe that they're fighting for you. When they're not, they want exactly what the Republicans want. I, I would say the biggest, the worst actor is finance, global finance, because that's what, that's what bankrolls all this shit. That's the backbone of it all. Hell yeah. <laughs> 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 Wouldn't be prudent. <laughs> Not Edu- kind of that. <laughs> Not kind of that. Education. <laughs> oh, this man. aggression against Iraq will not stand. <laughs> Did you see, um, you got to watch on YouTube, I was telling James the other day, Dana Carvey was on, um, he was on an episode with uh, Howard Stern. And he did like 17 impressions and, and these off-base things, but it's really funny. If you if you Google Dana Carvey impressions on Stern, you'll see it. It's, <laughs> and he just does these off. Well, he does um, he does Michael Caine as a, as a two-year-old. I go-go, I gaga. <laughs> I can't say anymore. I'm only two bloody years old. He does Paul McCartney. <laughs> he just does uh, he did, these um, off in his stand-up, he did uh, Jimmy Stewart getting head in a car from Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> yeah. Wait, now, did you ever see him live? No. No, oh, I would love to. I would He's love great. to see yeah. him. He's, if he, uh, I, I was hoping he would come to like, because uh, I didn't know he was so creative. I didn't know he's uh, like a modern-day uh, Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. he he He's definitely one of those that could like get stuck, I think, you know. <laughs> Uh, he's doing Bernie. He's saying, he's saying, I'll find people with money. <laughs> take their money and give it to people who need money. <laughs> That's a pretty good Bernie, Uncle Doug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt like I was at a rally right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we went to some dark and heavy places. Tonight. Yeah, we, we really did. We had the Battle of Blackwater Bay, and then we had the Battle of... 
human privacy. Wow. Should we toss a, we a relationship we, we in get there to for good love, The lovers. Yeah, should we toss one in? No, we've we've we've, we've exhausted it. Man, spots. we got deep. Yeah, we did get deep. That was good. And we'll 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 uh try to figure out if we do a special episode where we watch that doc and discuss. Oh, that'd be a great idea. Just so you know, Rick, uh the last line Tywin proclaims the battle is over and we have won. <laughs> and we have won. How oh, profound. Man. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you want to talk to us about deep state privacy, you can reach us at in the lion's den podcast at gmail.com. Get on the tour network. That's a good. Yeah. Yeah. Get your <laughs> onion browser going. Uh, Silk road. We want to say buenas noches to our fans in Argentina. And thanks so much.